Hey, Grace Hill, good morning. Grateful to be with you. Happy New Year. Thankful to be able to join you today, even though we are not able to be in person. Really just disappointed we can't be together. As you know, we are not able to be into the school this morning. So we're looking forward to next Sunday to be together in person. So guys, just really thankful for just this time together this morning. Grateful for Mel leading us and just hope you've been encouraged already this Sunday morning, just worshiping the Lord. Listen, guys, I know this is the the, the, kind of the end of the holiday season, and it's like a mixed bag for us. Like I know that I've talked to many of you. I've shared some of this with some of you as well. Like all of us, like holidays can be such a mixed bag. For some of us, is this really joyful time. It's restful, as Mel was even talking about. Hopefully you've been rejuvenated and, and just spent some time really just full of just encouragement with others that have been able to join you. But for many of us, it's really stressful. For many of us, it can be a time of sorrow. And so I don't know where you find yourself this morning on that spectrum, maybe somewhere in between. But this morning, I hope that we will find, I believe we will find this morning, deep encouragement as we spend time together in God's word, wherever this holiday season has led us. We will continue to f- take a look at why Jesus had to be made like us in every respect. So if you have your Bible, grab it, open it to Hebrews 12, verse 1. We're going to look at two verses this morning. And as we conclude this series of Jesus being like us in every respect, we've been unpacking a very singular question. Why did Jesus have to be made like you and me? And over the past several weeks, we've seen in several ways that we need Jesus in every way possible. In the first week, we look at chapter one and we got a chance to go, to, we need Jesus so we can know who God is, what he is like. In chapter four, we studied that we need Jesus because we need to be cared for, that he sympathizes with every single thing we've ever gone through and he can sympathize with us. So we need Jesus for that. And the other week, we looked at chapter seven of Hebrews and we need Jesus because we need a better priest. We need someone who can stand in our place before God on our behalf. We need Jesus in that place. And then we looked in chapter 10, two weeks ago, that we need Jesus for salvation. And so the last answer to this question that we will look at as we close our time in this, we'll find the answer to the question, why Jesus needed to be made like us in every respect in these two verses. And we will find that Jesus had to be made like us in every respect so he could encourage us to trust him. Jesus, as we look in these two verses, is literally our source of our faith. We need encouragement. It is vital to follow Jesus. Some of you, this is not new information, but for many of us, we need to really understand how is Jesus our encouragement? So this is going to be a very practical a sermon, I hope, for all of us, including myself this morning. We need Jesus because we need his encouragement. I grew up, played soccer. I've shared that with you guys several different times as I've gotten to preach. And one of these really kind of transformative experiences I had when I look back at my childhood was uh, around a very specific coach. 
Uh, I was playing soccer and I had just gotten on part of this team that was, I was kind of really lucky to be a part of it. I probably shouldn't have been in all respects a part of it. I just showed well, so I got to be playing on this team. And so I was with a bunch of people who were just way better than me. And then we got to play on this kind of showcase that would then allow us to get potentially selected to an even higher degree of playing on a different team that would give you a lot of uh, notoriety and a lot of things in soccer that would, were going to be really helpful. And I had this one coach, and he was a professional soccer player. And so for us at the age of 13, it was like our eyes were so big when he walked on the field. We didn't even know the name of the place he played for. We were just told he was a professional. And then when he spoke, all of us knew that he was serious because he had an English accent. So if you know anything about soccer, someone from England is always better than someone from the United States. We're getting, we're getting there. But anyway, so as a young kid, we were just in awe of this guy who was going to be our coach. And he spoke with an English accent. And then he started to get on the soccer ball and did things that we were just in awe of. And so all of us were just so excited. So he had us captivated from the moment he stepped on the field. And so, like I said, he was coaching me and this the rest of the team I was on. And we were at this showcase and we had four games we had to play. And then these college coaches came and they were looking at these games to determine who are they going to pick. They're going to pick 18 kids from over 150 players to be on this team. And my teammates had all been trying out for a long time and none of them had made this team. And this was my first year even being a part of the opportunity. And I'll remember it was our second to last game and we were all playing all right. But our coach finally leaned in one of these times and he pulled our team together and he gave us this really passionate speech about how to play really well. And I'll never forget, for whatever reason, he pulled me aside personally. He put his hands on my shoulders. He leaned down and in his British accent, he looked at me and he said, go dazzle them. And as a 13-year-old kid, that word dazzle was only used in Disney movies. But when he said it, it transformed everything for me in an instant. He spoke belief into my life in a way that I had never experienced before. And I played the best game I've ever played before or after. I never played so well because of this man's encouragement to me. I needed encouragement to do something that I actually didn't think I could do. And in fact, I made this team and I couldn't believe it. I probably shouldn't have even made this, but it changed the course of my life in many ways. It, it changed everything for me in soccer. And I got to be in these levels that I was frankly just like surprised that I could ever be at. But I needed deep encouragement, someone who believed in me. And what we're going to see in these two verses in Hebrews is that we're going to find an even better source of encouragement as we've been traveling all through the book of Hebrews. We're coming to the very end of Hebrews now, and it's going to have something very practical for us. And I believe it's going to be very similar to my soccer coach looking at us and saying, hey, go out there. You can do this because of what Jesus has already done for you. Let's read verses one through two together, and let's look at that Jesus is a encouragement for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is our source 
of encouragement. Father God, I just pray over these few short minutes that we have together. As we look at these two verses and a couple others, God, I pray, Father, as we see all that Jesus has done for us over the past several weeks, Lord, as we come to these few verses, Lord, that we would find deep encouragement, God, knowing that what Jesus has done for us, that he is the source and that he supplies the strength and encouragement we need to run this race. That, Father, he is like the coach who puts his arms on our shoulders and tells us, you can do this. I'm with you. I believe in you. And I'm with you. And so, Lord, I pray for those of us who need this encouragement today, God, that we would find that, that your Holy Spirit would move in us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so God knows we can't follow him without this kind of encouragement. And that's why he's given this to us. And this is what we're going to look at in these two verses. Verse one, I just want us to look at that. We're going to take it at the very beginning. It says, therefore, we're surrounded. We're picking up from Hebrews 11. We haven't gone through that. But Hebrews 11 is all about basically parading around for us. Imagine just this circle of these great heroes of our faith. And Hebrews 11 is just showing example after example, example of these people's faith who persevered in all manner of difficulty and trial, and that have come before you and me. This cloud of witnesses. Friends, there's deep encouragement knowing that we are not alone. Hebrews 11 is all about, that's the writer's point here. He's literally saying, look back at real people who've come before you. Real people just like you, just like me. And they did great things for God because they persevered in their faith in God despite trials and difficulties. I love the word cloud here. It's not not something that we would use often, but this is common usage back then to express not just a sheer number of people, but the unity of this great group of people. Think about that. Just as God has saved a people, he's talking about this cloud of witnesses who have been saved by God, who are all together in, in such different ways, seeking to trust and keep their faith rooted in God. And they've persevered through every trial that you and I could ever imagine. In fact, all of the ones that we ourselves would have gone through as well. So how does Jesus encourage us? He gives us this great cloud of witnesses, friends and family who encourage and inspire us to keep trusting in God. Like I said a minute ago, he doesn't leave us alone. He says, look back, right? Look back. Look at the end of verse one. Let us also, meaning just like those before in chapter 11, Lay aside every weight and sin that clings so closely to run with endurance the race set before us. Two things here at the very end of verse one. Life is hard. I love the scriptures. I love that the scriptures never sugarcoat the reality of the experience of being a human. It never seeks to sugarcoat any of the difficulties and trials. The, the, the terrible things that happen in this world are never sugarcoated in the scriptures. It shoots you and me straight every single time. It's going to look us in the eye and say things like, life is hard. Tragedies will come. And we shouldn't be surprised when we run across hard things. Why is it? Our instinct is always to be surprised. I know that's my My bent is to always be so surprised when something hard or difficult happens. But look at 1 Peter 4.12. It says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something 
strange were happening to you. We can look at 1 John 3.13. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Very still in our community today, there are many who are suffering and struggling in different ways. And this text, these texts remind us that we're not alone, that Jesus hasn't forgotten us. Jesus, as we've talked about over and over again throughout this series, not only is he just like God, but he's just like us in the sense that he can sympathize with every single hardship and struggle that we face. Sin, as we are told over and over again throughout the scriptures, it has literally affected every part of humanity's existence. And God's encouragement splits through that reality for all of us. And and we realize, listen, in Hebrews 11, we can look back and see we are not an isolated incident where this is happening. But this is a reality for all people of all time who have put their faith and trust in Jesus But we don't just look back for encouragement to understand that this isn't strange, but we also look ahead too. This text tells us that we are all running a race. This is that means we're all following Jesus together. You and I, we're all doing this together, running this race. And and we don't want to just look back for encouragement, though we do. We look back and we realize that, but we also look ahead. And this text tells us there's someone ahead to look towards. Verse 2, looking to Jesus. That's who we look towards. So we set our gaze upon as we run the race, as we're sitting in whatever trial or situation we find ourselves. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of of the throne of God. Okay, so Jesus was made like us in every respect. He endured and finished this race for us. And now as we run this race, we don't run this race to win because that's already been won by what Jesus has done on the cross for us. We run to finish and receive what Jesus has already won for us. This is the writer of Hebrews' beautiful point. And remember, the context that this is written in is a group of Christians who are struggling in their faith. They're being persecuted. Should I keep believing in this Jesus thing or should I go back to the old way of understanding who God was? Or or do I trust Jesus? This is really hard. And this is the whole point. As we look to the one, we look to Jesus who not only started the race but finished it. And we've studied over these past several weeks that he stood in our place. He sacrificed himself on our behalf before God as our high priest. And he stands at the end of the line, at the end of the race, waiting for us to finish. Grace Hill, the encouragement this morning we see from this text is Jesus himself endured the very things that we have and will struggle with. But he did so, as we've been reminded over and over again, he did so perfectly without sin. Therefore, we've been reminded as well that he alone is able to be the source of our hope and our encouragement to endure. He is waiting for us 
at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, like my coach was to me, he's, he's telling you and me, dazzle the world around you, brothers and sisters. With joy, you can suffer and struggle and endure together. Dazzle them because you are in possession of the most stunning and mind-blowing reality the entire world has ever known, the gospel of my son, Jesus, who chose to suffer and struggle just like you and me, but for you and me. He chose to endure humiliation and shame and suffering ultimately on the cross. He chose that. That is the one who is waiting for us. That is the one who can empathize and give us encouragement. He, Jesus, offered himself as the great high priest before God and he sacrificed himself. He did that. He did that. Jesus, the one we're looking at as we run this waste, we look at him and we go, he did that for you and for me. He did what you and I could not do. As we saw two weeks ago, he did it through the tearing of his own flesh. He gave up his own body to repair what sin had decimated, our ability to be in relationship with God. He did that. The one we're looking ahead towards. Jesus. He's the founder and perfecter of our faith. Friends, this is really important because a lot of times we can talk about these in almost abstract ideas. Jesus, the writer of Hebrews, is so, so clear on this. Jesus is not a mere example to look back on like a dead hero. And neither is he just this philosophic ideal. Jesus, according to the writer of Hebrews, is alive actively strengthening you and me and encouraging us as we run this race coming towards him at the finish line. We saw in chapter seven, as our great high priest, he is constantly forever interceding on our behalf. Jesus was made like us so he could be our encouragement to follow God. How, how do we remember how do we remember this in our day-to-day lives? Grace Hill, like, what, what does it look like to trust in Jesus as the source of our encouragement? What does it look like, literally, practically, to look at him as we run this race? I want us to find our answer that the writer gives us in Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25. It's going to be on the screen. I want to read it together. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. The text tells us what to do practically to remember day after day what it looks like, what it means to practically trust Jesus. Again, There's no abstractions here. This is real life, practical application from the writer of Hebrews. Tells us what to do. Encourage one another. And Grace, so this is our strategy if you want to use language like that. As a church, this is our 
strategy. This is how the philosophy of ministry is played out. Our ministry philosophy is rooted in this text in light of what Jesus has done for you and for me in light of Jesus's accomplished work of redemption in our lives how do we endure how do we follow Jesus and receive his encouragement until he comes home or until he calls us home or he returns we literally do those two verses Hebrews 10 24 and 25 this is where we believe God wants to bring healing into the community that we find ourselves in spiritually to be made right with God but also physically and mentally too, God incarnated. He became just like us so he could come near to us that we might literally be encouraged, meaning have courage to face all the trials and difficulties just like Jesus himself did. This is where we get gathering together weekly that we do every Sunday. That's why we're here on the video screen right now. It's that important to be reminded weekly all of the things that God has done for us, to remember that He is our hope and our encouragement. And this is why we gather every week in smaller settings for this very same reasons. It's why we believe that the scriptures are clear in calling us to share our lives with one another that we would share our stories with one another. And this is another big deal because, listen, it's a big deal because we cannot take serious what the writer of Hebrews is challenging us to do. We cannot do it unless we consider each other. We know each other. It's impossible to follow what God has laid out for us in these verses without knowing each other. It's impossible And the writer of Hebrews is giving us deep encouragement to say, this is God's plan to encourage you in what Jesus has already done for you. How do we stir one another up to love and good works? We can't know one another unless we consider each other. The word consider is a word that requires you and me to slow down. It requires us to have a catalog of relationships with other people that we know, that we know things about. Our text translates this word that we should take notice, that we should observe carefully, or we should look at in a reflective manner to think carefully about someone else. It means in the context of our relationships with one another, we have specific knowledge about each other. Here's why we will always be seeking to intentionally find one another, to come after each other, to be curious with one another as God's people. We are always going to do that because that's what God's word says to do here, to run the race with endurance is to be encouraged because Jesus is waiting for us. The word stir in Greek means to incite or to provoke or to stimulate. And here's a picture that I think we're all familiar with. There's a log in a fireplace whose flame has started to die out a bit. And what do you do? You use an iron to poke at a log because it knocks away the ash barrier and it lets fresh air onto the burning log surface and it starts to reignite. 
You also fan a flame that way for the very same reason. And you know what happens? It might even heat up a new section of wood, which releases more gas and starts flames again. And this is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us to do to find our encouragement in Jesus. Give courage to one another to face whatever it is that we're facing. In doing so, we're helping each other look to Jesus, who is the source and the means of our encouragement. The Greek word for encouragement is perikaleo, and this means to come alongside of, to call to one side, to call for a summons, to address or speak to, to admonish or to exhort, to strive, to console, to receive consolation, to be comforted, to instruct, to teach. That's all this Greek word perikaleo, the verb is, all of those things. So Grace Hill, I just want to call our attention to this text because God's so kind that he wants to give us courage. He wants to give you and me courage to face whatever it is we're facing and be able to look to him, to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. I just want to offer a few suggestions to us in this new year, to consider in the relationships that we already have. Maybe it's in your community group. Maybe it's in your family. Maybe it's at work. Maybe it's some places. But I want to encourage you. What would it look like to take Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 serious? I'm just going to give you several suggestions. The first is this. Would you pray that God would make you an encouraging person? I mean that to pray. It's hard work to do that. Ask God that he might give you and me a heart that loves others with creativity to show and to think through how can we stir one another up as we learn our stories? How might I encourage someone with what I know about them? Where are places and ways that I might do that? And Lord, help me to do that. And listen, you know what this requires of you and me, just like Jesus did, to die to ourself. Listen, self-centeredness is so, so prevalent in my life. It, it grow, I, don't have to, I don't have to try for that to grow. It just happens. But I know that God delights in us helping other people obey his commands. I need that help, and I know you need that help. So would you pray that God make you an encouraging person? The second thing I just want to encourage very practically is, is put in your phone. What would it be like to encourage someone daily? Like just put it right now. Like go, the first thing you're thinking of, go, I'm going to write it right now on my phone and I'm going to call, I'm going to text, I'm going to email, I'm going to show up, I'm going to do whatever it is. And daily, I'm going to find one thing to encourage somebody with. One, one person and one thing. And might that become a habit for us to be an encouraging people, a cloud of witnesses to all that God has done for us and for other people as we observe it in their lives. And some of you might not have someone right away. And so I would encourage you just, would you pray? Would you commit now to pray, God, who can I encourage? Who can I give courage to? There are sick people in our community there are, there are anxious people in our community. There are grieved people in our community. There are lonely people in our community. And I guarantee you, you won't have to look that hard to find some way to encourage. Pray that God would show you someone to encourage. I promise you, he will show you. It's his will for us to be these kind of people. Another thing I just want to encourage you is use the scriptures 
There is nothing that can encourage us like the promises of God. Mel and the worship team constantly give us calls to worship. They give us different scriptures over and over again to cite his promises. There are songs that are singing the promises of God. Remember those and share those as encouragement to other people. Take those things and be specific in your encouragement. Don't just say, hope you have a good day. know what's going on with someone to give them something very specific to have courage for to face or something you've seen in them that is pleasing to God that you want to just highlight that they might find the hope that God has already laid out before them knowing he's there with them and sees them and hasn't forgotten them and the last thing I pray that you would join me in is that you would continue to pray that this church would be one that's not just in an aspirational goal to be safe, but that we would actually, the way we'll be a safe place is if we would continue to create a culture here of encouragement at Grace Hill. Would we be a people who aren't critical for critical sake, but critical in a critiquing way because we want to give someone courage to be better, to do what God's given them to do, to fan and inflame their gifts. We want to be encouraging and encouraging place. So ask God to make us a people and a community that genuinely loves each other so much that we know how to specifically encourage each one another. Would we be like the prodding stick in the fire that helps brush off the ash barrier in someone's life so that it might ignite a flame in their own soul to be who God has made them to be, the one that he says he delights in all of us. Friends, we live with an encouragement deficiency. Would we help reverse that trend? And for the sake of what God has done for us, give hope looking to Jesus. Grace, so like my coach was to me, speaking encouragement. You never know what God's going to do with that. You never know what that might mean to someone now or 10 years from now or even decades later. You have no idea what God can do when we give godly encouragement to one another. So I'm going to close with this. Those were just a few ways that we can practically see from the scriptures how we look to Jesus and we help one another remember and, and, and to, to, to trust in all that God has done for us to endure the race laid out before us. We, Grace Hill, have the unique privilege to help one another run the race of faith together. So my prayer for us as we close is this verse that we just studied. God, would you help us let lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely to all of us here at Grace Hill. Father God, would you let us here at Grace Hill and all of us who are a part of this body of believers, would you help us to run in such a way that we would have endurance to run this race that is set before us? And God, I beg you, would you help us to be an encouraging people who not only encourage one another, but Father, we do so as we look at that in light of following Jesus who waits for us at the very end of the finish line. Father, I pray you would do that in this body of people who love you and call you their Savior. God, I can't imagine what you would do with a people who would encourage one another this way. I long for that in my life, and I long for that in the lives of those who are following you here, God. And would that encouragement spill out into our community, into Herndon, onto the streets of Herndon, 
and all the surrounding areas upon which we reside, God, as Alan says over and over again, that we would be an embassy of hope and encouragement because we are looking to Jesus. And Father, I just pray that you would help us to do some of those six things that we, we read already and have been encouraged by. And in faith, trust you that that would help us to endure. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.